This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Sunday, July 26th. And the first series of the year is in the books. It is our first episode in a long time where we are covering actual Chicago Cubs baseball. And Brendan, the Cubs take two of three from the Milwaukee Brewers to win their first series of the year based on other division results. The Cubs sitting atop in a, in a tie, but still sitting atop the NL Central after just three games. But given how large a percentage of this season that is, it feels good. It's a wonderful way to start the 2020 season. And the way they won those games, you had Kyle Hendricks throwing a complete game shutout. You have Javi, I think, taking pitches well, even though he didn't have the power we saw. You have Rizzo hitting two homers, Hap hitting two homers, Contreras hitting the ball, framing well. A lot of good signs in addition to just winning those two games. Brendan, it would seem to me, uh, if I'm reading things correctly, that baseball season is underway it is i am ready for a brand new day brendan what do you say cubs are going to win today and they did they did win today on sunday to wrap up this three-game set with milwaukee there's a lot to discuss uh the vast majority of which was good uh you know a, a couple of things to nitpick in this series as of course there would be i i, I would have assumed but we will talk about it all. So if you're new to this podcast, or just as a reminder, generally what we do is we, you know, a, a couple minutes uh, just to sort of lay the groundwork of what happened in this series, and then we dive into what Brendan and I and most, uh, you know, I think Cubs writers and, and bloggers and tweeters, etc., have dialed in on the most important things that we saw in this series, and then we'll wrap things up just setting the table with the pitching matchups and, and general thoughts for the upcoming series 
in Cincinnati as the Cubs head on the road for the first time in this series. So just to lay the groundwork, uh, obviously the Cubs winning on Friday 3 to nothing. The story there was, of course, Kyle Hendricks, a complete game shutout to start the season. That will be the first thing that we talk about when uh, I wrap this up. Uh, just three hits, no runs, no walks, and nine strikeouts for Kyle Hendricks. The Cubs getting their runs in that one on homers by Ian Happ and Anthony Rizzo. They uh, apparently agreeing to homer on the same day as they would also do that on Sunday. Saturday, the Cubs' lone loss of the season. The Brewers winning that one 8-3. to three. Uh, Not the debut that Yu Darvish was hoping for, but I, I think there was definitely reason for optimism in there. The command just wasn't there, and he knew it. You could kind of see it on his face. He goes just four innings, six hits, three earned, no walks, and five strikeouts. Despite the command not really being there, the stuff was still filthy, and he didn't walk anybody. So I think those are uh, important things to note. None of you care how the Brewers got their runs in this game but Kyle Schwarber did hit his first home run of the season in this one, so that was good to see. And then on Sunday, the Cubs' bats really breaking out in this one. Uh, A bunch of homers, one from Wilson Contreras that was just an absolute tank. Ian Happ, like I said, and Anthony Rizzo both homering off of former Chicago Cub Justin Grimm. Justin Grimm, you might remember, was a member of the 2016 Chicago Cubs that won the World Series. The story on Sunday, besides the offense uh, really busting out, and I should mention that the Cubs did put up a four spot. They bat around in the fourth inning. That was a really, really fun inning to watch. But I think the lead story on Sunday was Tyler Chatwood, who was really, really good in this game. Uh, Christian Yelich, not a lot of success in this game against Tyler Chatwood. In fact, he struck out three times. So that was fun. But Chatwood goes six innings, three hits, just one earned run, two walks, and eight strikeouts. He was very, very good in this game. We will talk about him as well. Cubs nine runs on 11 hits on Sunday. I think with the the split of the first two games, uh, that was what I think everyone was really hoping for on Sunday was that the Cubs offense would really bust out against Peralta and the Milwaukee pitching staff, and that is exactly what happened. So like I said, brief recap, that about sets the table for the discussion that we want to have. Again, the Cubs taking two of three at Wrigley Field from the Milwaukee Brewers to start this season. So Brendan, I want to talk about Kyle Hendricks first yes. uh, as, as kind of our first topic, but just in a general sense, uh, since this is the, the first series of the year and it's the first series in a, a very strange world environment that we're all living in right now, just your your general feeling on on baseball being back. Uh, did you immediately dial back into freaking out about everything, even oh, yeah. though there's no fans? And it was you know certainly sort of a weird feeling. Just just your your general vibe from the weekend here. Well, when they botched that rundown and the feeling I got from that, I realized that even with a 60 game season, I'm going to approach each one of these games exactly the same way. So yeah. I took the wins, I took the loss. Really, Corey, the same as I normally would in a regular season. So, it, like over overall, I think without the fans there, it does suck. But you kind of get beyond it in a weird way. If you focus on the bats and the actual baseball, you kind of just like forget there's no fans in the stadium. So, I mean, overall, like if this is what it's going to be like, sign me up. If anything, I was actually a little bit more surprised that I 
took the games and the wins and losses how I did. Yeah, I, I it took uh, very little. I mean, really, honestly, that that first game when the Cubs were trying to protect that two to nothing lead after Hap hit the home run, mm-hmm. I I knew I was back because I was just <laughs> right. panicked with <laughs> every pitch. So it didn't take long to really feel. I like mean, we even were that Hap home run, Corey. Like once he hit that, I'm like, let's go. Fist bumps yeah. all over the place. So that for me, actually, that that was it. Not even the rundown, just that first homer that got me going. Yeah, and then when David Ross came out just to chat with Kyle Hendricks at the end of that game, uh, immediately I was like, you better not take him out. I know, (laughs) I was ready to, uh, you know, break some stuff. So it felt good, felt back, felt uh, normal. I know that, you know, like watching a lot of these sports, like it's it's been a pretty weird sentiment for, you know, different people are are able to, they kind of feel exactly the same as they normally would. Some people are like, ah, this is pretty weird. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get into this. Safe to say that Brendan and I got into it pretty quickly. So uh, I'm assuming y'all listening to this podcast felt the same, but it it doesn't matter if they're playing 60 games, five games, 162 games, doesn't really matter. If the Cubs are playing, it's uh, life or death for for me and Brendan, uh, whether they win that game. So that's, that's how it felt pretty quickly. Uh but let's let's talk about Kyle Hendricks. Yes. And that game on Friday was not really Beautiful. surprising. Uh it shouldn't have been surprising to you. It certainly shouldn't have been surprising to anybody that listens to this podcast uh because we went on a whole big thing when he was announced as the opening day starter and we've certainly done so in the past about just how good he is, how good he has been in the context of the rest of Major League Baseball uh for years now and how it was uh, about time that he got a, a an accolade like that to start on opening day and that more people around the league started to recognize just how good he really is because he's not a good pitcher he's one of the best pitchers and that game on Friday Brendan was such a prime example of what we were talking about I think a couple episodes ago he is so fun to watch. Obviously, he threw a complete game shutout. That's fun. But just the way that there is nothing, mm. I think, more fun to me than watching hitters late on 88 mile an hour fastballs above the zone. And the way that he was throwing those pitches up in the zone, commanding his new and improved curveball, and dropping that beautiful, beautiful changeup in there. there it, it, there's. I don't think there's anything more fun than really dialing into what Kyle Hendricks is doing and the strategy behind it. And I think Jim Deshahees pointed this out during one of the at-bats that Christian Yelich made like a face during, I think he swung through one of those elevated heaters, we'll call them at like, you know, 89 miles an hour. I don't think he threw a pitch that was 90 or above the entire game in a complete game shutout. Let that sink in. But after swinging through one of those fastballs, Christian Yelich like, kind of looked and the camera caught him with kind of a, well, now what kind of a, a look. And that's what, what JD was pointing out where, and and that's kind of the, the thing about Hendricks is that you're late on an 88 mile an hour fastball and good luck to you trying to figure out which of those pitches he's going to come with next because he's going to, he's, he's figured you out, Kyle has, on your, where your eyes are, where your speed recognition is and all that other stuff. And he's going to toy with you. And he was doing that the entire game. Orlando Arcia, the only person in the Brewers lineup uh, that was able to hit Kyle Hendricks, he had all three hits for the Brewers, which I believe was the first time uh, that that has happened, that the, the nine hitter in a lineup was the only person uh, that 
was getting any hits. But other than that, it was, I mean, truly a masterful performance from Hendricks. And, and the kind of like absurdity of, of him to, after a, a quarantine shutdown of the league, to come back in this context and deliver a complete game shutout Unreal. on opening day, just amazing stuff. And, you know, a, again, a, a deserved spotlight for Kyle on Friday night. Well, it's hard to figure out what you're more excited about with Kyle. Is it the complete game shutout? Is it the velocity being 88-89 again? Or is it the new curveball he's been showcasing? You have three things to, like, center your attention on his start. For for me, like, the velocity, when he's at 88-89, Corey, he is so good. Like, he can survive around 86-87 as he's done so the past two, three years. But when he goes up to that 89, 90-mile-per-hour threshold, that is 2016 Game 6 NLCS against the Dodgers' Kyle Hendricks. And Wilson Contreras even said that. He said that his start opening night was reminiscent of those some of those starts in 2016. So the velocity is a huge deal. But now you couple that with this curveball. And I want to focus on this curveball because it's so interesting. In 2016, Corey... His curveball dropped about 5.2 inches. And this is a weird thing to conceptualize, but this does not include like gravity, which basically means it doesn't factor in the velocity of the pitch. This is just straight vertical break access. And then in 2017, it went up to 5.82 inches, 2018, 7.6 inches, 2019, 7.7, and then so far this year, he's at 8.4. So he almost doubled his curveball dropping action in four years and right now compared to the last two years it's up by almost almost an inch that's that's a big deal and you look at the spin rate that friend of the pod and we just had him on Jordan Bashan pointed out his spin rate right now is among the best ever in his career for his curveball so when you look at Christian Yelich and he's throwing these upward sinkers in on the hands he's throwing those beautiful change-ups to complement that sinker now you have a curveball that he's throwing with two strikes how how do you try to hit this guy when he's on his game locating everything with a new pitch that he trusts in two strike counts not just to get me over curveball but a genuine two strike pitch that's new is a huge deal for him. And so I think there's a lot of question marks about this rotation, justifiably so. But Hendricks going in for the next two months as your bona fide ace, even with you, Darvish, pitching well, but having like Hendricks be that consistent plug has to give you a lot of confidence. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, a really masterful performance and just so fun to watch. Like, again, like, you know, Arcia was able to get some hits, but other than that, it was a, a vintage Hendrick start, a, a bunch yeah. of weak contact, letting the defense do its thing, and then obviously racking up those whiffs and the Ks, which is always fun to see. Uh, but I do want to read a quote from Hendricks uh, after the game because obviously that first win on Friday is the first win of David Ross's managerial career, which is uh, certainly a wonderful milestone and, and very happy for David there. Uh, I did did figure, Brendan, that at some point in this 60-game season, he was going to get that first win. But so, nice yeah. to do it on the, on the, on the first night. But the because there was so much made of it, uh, you know, just like it's his first season, he's never been a manager before, managing with players, and obviously you know where Brendan and I stood on 
uh, being very happy that he was the one that was hired and being very, very confident in his ability to be successful as a manager and that obviously Brendan and I were quite dismissive of any notion that he would not be able to manage uh, his friends or, or former teammates uh, because he's someone that just commands respect and, and that everybody respects and loves. Uh, but we've been reading some of those quotes from summer camp and spring training that, that were kind of alluding to how much these players are, are really believing that Ross was made for this type of job. And I thought that that was illustrated very significantly when they spoke to Kyle Hendricks after the game on Friday. Kyle, his first opening day start, he just throws a complete game shutout. And when they talked to him, he said that the most important thing to him was that he was able to get that first win for David Ross. And Hendricks went on to say, quote, that's what means the most to me, honestly. I love that guy. And we just love playing for him. We've been waiting for this moment. We were excited in spring before this all started. Just the vibe and energy he brings every day. Guys, for the millionth time, they love David Ross. They love playing for David Ross. And they are, as Rizzo said, like he demands respect and perfection. And that is what they are trying to give out there. Every single thing that they say points to how much they love and respect David Ross. Uh, So if you entered into this season, hopefully if you listen to this podcast, Brendan and I have calmed any of the you know your your questions about David Ross but if you still entered into this season with those questions I I really would think that this first series and just the way that these players continue to talk about him and and how he has been as a manager would uh dissuade you from any any concerns going forward but yeah man uh Kyle Hendricks just really really good there was amazing footage uh that Marquis was able to put out uh with the post-game interview that they did with Hendricks when Jeremy Jeffrey Anthony Rizzo and Wilson Contreras ran over to him at the edge of the dugout and dumped the uh, Gatorade buckets on him and Kyle was mic'd up and we don't always get like this like personality stuff from Kyle but just hearing like he he was screaming that they threw the water too low like it got mostly on his pants <laughs> at first but then like Hendricks just going yeah yeah like as they're dumping water and I was like this is awesome like we don't normally get this from him and like this was just totally awesome but yeah I, I mean honestly like that was a, a very that was about as well I mean obviously you'd like the offense to score 100 runs every night but I think all things considered that was about as well as that first game could have gone. It was really clean from a defensive perspective. They they got a couple home runs to pace the offense. Rizzo hit that one late to kind of give them a little bit more assurance, and Kyle Hendricks was out of control. I, I want to read this uh, stat from the uh, Stats by Stats account on Twitter, and they said, tonight on Friday, Kyle Hendricks became the first pitcher to throw a complete game shutout with nine-plus strikeouts, zero walks, and three or fewer hits on opening day since Lettle Titcomb did so for the New York Giants on April 20th of 1888. From a first series standpoint, what we wanted to see happen sort of happened. I, I think with Hendricks and Chatwood performing well, we have to look at the lineup in addition. I think Ian Happ was, at least for me, my main priority to focus on the first few series because we know his potential, right? We know he has, in a normal season, 162-game season, 30-plus homer potential. And what he did this series, at least for now in the short term, puts him in a lineup consistently. Like, no, 
no offense against Almora, but he's, he doesn't have the offensive potential as Hap does. I know Almora has the defensive you know, fortitude that Hap may not have right now, but even in center field, Hap made some quality plays. He made two plays in that last game of the series, one in which he flew into a brick wall and caught a, a, a deep fly ball with the wind howling. That was impressive. So overall, from a series standpoint, a lot of the main checkpoints that we wanted to be checked off were checked off. It was Hendricks. It was Chatwood. It was the middle of the order with Schwarber and Contreras, with Rizzo's back, with Ian Happ performing well, with Nico doing well, with David Ross making some of the logical decisions like leaving Kyle Hendricks in for a complete game. All of these different areas of focus were areas of focus based on what we saw last year and based on what we knew needed to happen for this team to get to the next point. And there are areas that quite simply Joe Madden failed to bring out of this team. And so from a three-game standpoint, you don't want to take too much out of it, but it's hard not to when you only have 60 games, right? So I think overall, I'm thrilled. All my expectations were basically met, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't want to constantly turn things into a, you know, David Ross, Joe Madden thing. But I, I did find it funny on, on Friday night. Friend of the podcast, Jeff Everson, tweeted out that Joe definitely would have taken Kyle out of that game, and oh, he no, was one hundred percent correct. <laughs> like, there's no question that the Kyle would have been out of that game with a different manager and I don't even want to think about <laughs> what the what the <laughs> aftermath would have been um but yeah I I loved that moment and I loved when they talked about it afterward they 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 pointed out that the the dugout kind of uh you know cheered for Ross when he turned yeah. around not having taken Hendricks out kind of you know giving him a little rib uh about you know letting Hendricks finish that game and stuff like that so I do like the, that by the way like you hear the dugouts yes even on base hits you hear them like imploding on with with applause like on Chris Bryant's first base hit of the season in that last game like you heard the dugout just like scream because they were joking like hey first hit you know 13 at bats so that is like a silver lining not having fans in the ballpark you hear the players a little bit more yeah, and I mean it's it's we're we're able to get you know a lot of gifts and and close ups of the guys, but it just feels like that that content is a lot easier and oh, yeah. uh, more available now, just because the players are quite literally the only thing in the ballpark to focus on. You know, we're not getting cuts to fans and stuff like that. Like we're just the cameras are literally just pointed at the dugout the whole time. So that has been uh, interesting. Yeah, I, I again like I don't it's pretty easy for me to tune this stuff out. Like, I just want the Cubs to win. I don't really care if there's fans in the ballpark and stuff like that. But it it has been interesting to kind of just, like, experience this. The one thing that I'll say, and I'm assuming we're all in agreement on this, those virtual fans on Fox on Saturday, I don't know who Not came up with that idea. But that idea. might be one of the weird, the worst ideas and it's the execution. in my whole life. It's I mean, you can have the idea, but you, you, you have to execute it. Like... At least on my TV, I swear to God, Corey, there was like a green tintish hue the entire game, probably so they can put on those fans. It was very virtually. weird, Terrible. and the, it just, just no, a hundred percent no. Happen. Like it's, it, it, it doesn't make things feel normal. It's a right. reminder that none of us are at these games. And I'm like trying to find where Schwarber's home run went, and I can't yeah. find it because you have these virtual they're, things. In they're the, in not the crowd. there. Like, why would anybody want to see a video game crowd? I don't get it. Like the. the cutouts I think are fun and those are real people with like their faces or their dogs and stuff like that like but virtual like MLB the show fans I don't think anybody likes that or wants it that is 
if that's your jam, that's your jam. Like, I, you know, there's no right or wrong answer here, but that is definitely not, uh, not, not, not for fan. me, uh, yeah. to say the least. And, and the weirder part was like, obviously with certain shots, they weren't in there and then they would cut to a different shot and they're there. It was just like very jarring and like, just not yeah. completely not. It was necessary. very distracting. Very yeah. The, distracting. the cheering, the fake cheering is one thing. Like I kind of like that. It makes the ambiance feel a little more normal, but yeah. the virtual fans, big no. Luckily that's, uh, I think only a Fox sports thing. So hopefully they get the feedback and stop doing that. Um, we're going to bounce around here. I want to stick on the, the, the good and we'll maybe touch on anything that, you know, we're, we're nitpicking uh, from a series win towards the end. But I want, to, I want to go to Tyler Chatwood because I think that that is the secondary lead story uh, from the weekend. And then I think we'll dig in more on the offense. I know you mentioned Ian Happ a little bit, yeah. but we'll talk more about the offense as a whole. Chadwood was really good on mm-hmm. Sunday. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. Um, like I said, striking out Christian Yelich three times. I believe two were swinging, one was looking. And again, six innings, three hits, one earned, two walks, and eight strikeouts. And the the thing for Chatwood, obviously, is we all saw how his Cubs career began. But that was unlike anything he had ever done in his career. That was a level of lack of command that we've just never seen before and he hasn't replicated since and you and I talked a lot Brendan in this lead up and the multiple spring trainings and sort of off seasons that we've had leading up to the 2020 season about how he showed a lot of really strong flashes in the opportunities that he was given uh, you know to either spot start or come in in long relief in the 2019 season and I think our stance was especially as as a middle or back end of the rotation guy with you know hopefully you and and Kyle really pacing things at the top like Chadwood could definitely give you three four five today it was six but you know solid innings like keep you in the game let the offense do their thing and then you can kind of proceed from there and this was even better than that this was six really solid innings it's a quality start uh, obviously he earns his first w and this is one of those things where we talked about so many um variables for this team and and things that could really kind of push things in one direction or the other tyler chatwood being Anything close to this in the majority of the starts that he's able to get would be a big, big deal for this team because mm-hmm. we, you know, we've talked about John Lester and what we expect out of him and, and Chadwood being stable right? And obviously this was a great start, but but just being able to count on him to give you those quality innings, keep the team in the game at a minimum is is really really huge and uh anything like what we saw on Sunday from him going forward would be great but the the we've always talked and we've always known he he was signed because you know he generates such spin rate he has really electric quality stuff and he looked really good on Sunday and the command despite the two walks like that his his command was good he was not uh you know super erratic like we've seen from him at times in his Cubs career like he was good he was around the zone he looked to be in command of what he and Wilson wanted to be doing in terms of attacking the Brewers pitches this is a really good start for Tyler he looked phenomenal, Corey. Like I think, and Pat Hughes said it too. That that might have been his best start as a Cub. Just maybe not statistically per se, but just overall tone that he set on an inning by inning basis. He was in command. He was doing what he wanted to do. 
one thing that stood out for me, and we'll see if this holds up once like the date is processed, but he threw, Corey, 26 cutters in 84 pitches against Milwaukee. Of those 26 cutters, he got six swinging strikes, he got four foul balls, and four called strikes. Those swinging strikes, that rate, if it were to continue, would be 50% better than the major league average. That's a big deal because last year, he only threw a cutter once every 10 pitches. Today, he threw it once every three pitches. It's a three times increased usage of this pitch. One of my concerns going into the year with Chatwood was he was successful as a reliever last year because he didn't have to use multiple pitches. He just blew by his fastball, which has a lot of spin, a lot of velocity, and he has that curveball to go along with it. For a reliever, that's all you need, those two pitches. But in a starting role, once you get through that lineup once and you have to go back there for a second time and maybe a third time, you need multiple pitches. And so that cutter is a huge deal because it signals in my mind that he has the capacity to start and go multiple innings beyond just a four or five that maybe you and I and maybe many of of the other fans wanted to see and then maybe you go back into the bullpen for four or five innings. Maybe we don't need that. If he continues to do this, maybe Chatwood could be like that five, six, seven inning guy. And right now, with a lot of the questions in the bullpen, despite their potential, you want another starter in there. Like you want someone that you can at least expect that if he's on, can get you six, seven innings. And I think David Ross, for for him, going through this year with a lot of uncertainty, having Chatwood step up and become that staple of that trio or with John Lester if he is what he was last year which I think he will be that that's a hell of a rotation dude and that really does fill at least a consistent inning void that Quintana left and if Chatwood performs this well then his value is beyond Quintana what he would have provided yeah that was kind of what we we talked about um you know that that chat would perhaps just maybe especially in a shorter sprint represents just a bit of a higher ceiling than Jose Quintana might, whereas yeah. Jose Quintana's value is in such consistency over a, a long season. But yeah, man, like Chatwood had a couple innings that were just one, two, three. Obviously, the way that he was able to get through Yelich, who uh, only ends up with that one hit in the series, it was a big one. But uh, otherwise, I mean, the he Cubs. He made Yelich look like a fool, dude. Yeah. Like at Cubs tweeted this out. You got to go watch it. He was throwing Yelich these 90, 91, 92 mile per hour cutters in on Yelich's hip, and then he'll follow up with it with a two-seamer that's like 95-96 in that same tunnel. Like If you were to overlay that similar to what a pitching ninja does, they're indistinguishable at the release point. And with that velocity, that type of like unorthodox delivery, that's got to be difficult to hit. So that's, that's why it's a big deal when you have this cutter and you're fooling one of the better hitters in Major League Baseball in Christian Yelich. Yeah, and another note, he throws 84 pitches on Sunday, which I point out just because one of his biggest problems when he was in the rotation the first time uh, in his Cubs career was pitch A, obviously the, the walks, but then obviously that leads to yeah. just a massive pitch count early in the games, having to get into that bullpen early using so many arms just to get through the one day. And, you know, he was able to go six innings on 84 pitches. That was about his limit uh, for this one, Tommy Hadovy was on during the game on Sunday on Marquee talking about, uh, you know, how 
some of these guys that that's kind of where they're going to start and then obviously they'll hope to ramp up to being able to do uh closer to 100 pitches he said Lester on Monday probably going to be similar around 80 85 so that's kind of where Hendricks that was part of the reason uh aside from the merit but that was part of the reason that Hendricks was uh chosen to go first on Friday was he was the one that was the the most able to just kind of pitch like normal if he needs to go over 100 which he did he was able to do that uh some of these other guys obviously going to start a little slower but 84 and six innings for Chatwood with eight strikeouts this was great and if this is any uh sign to come that is going to bode very very well uh for this Cubs rotation because I think you know Mills is obviously the biggest question mark uh but if you are able to rely on those top four guys obviously to differing degrees but to give you those quality innings keep the team in the game get you those W's that this you know I think that everything else will will figure it out but certainly Brendan like Chatwood today and what we had seen from him in the past um you know in 2019 and then obviously what he was able to do in in his spring training exhibition starts and then on Sunday against the Brewers this is I think what turning the corner and like what Tommy Hadovy and the pitching group with the Cubs have been able to do and dial in on with Chatwood this is what it looks like at least so far when that stuff takes hold when those changes take hold when that work takes hold and a guy is seeing the payoff of that so that was very uh exciting to see on Sunday and hopefully a sign of things to come want to go into the offense now there is uh plenty to talk about um but I think the lead stories if you will from the offense that there's there's a few of them I don't even know where you want to start Brendan but I I think the most important things that jump out to me uh are first Anthony Rizzo's back looks fine uh, drills a homer in the opener on Friday to the right field bleachers, goes oppo against Justin Grimm on Sunday. Uh, so he's got two on the year, running well, playing defense well. His back is fine, uh, as you know it, it usually is when he deals with these short bursts of it. Um, but beyond that, two guys that we have really dialed in on as part of that big five and and guys that you know we're expecting big seasons out of Wilson Contreras and Kyle Schwarber big weekends for the both of them they both look really good at the plate and again like that is a, a a big big deal for this team if if those two guys are able to stay healthy stay in that lineup and deliver the offensive production that I think we all know they're capable of over the long term. Before we get into that offense, we do want to mention our two sponsors, Deal Dash and Bet Online. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts every 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of their other discount. DealDash.fm backwards slash blue wire that is d-e-a-l-d-a-s-h dot f-m backwards slash blue wire 
Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and the Cubs are finally kicking off their season, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the ads, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it will be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Pandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Corey, the offense. One of the key features that we did not see last year that we were you know, a little annoyed with was working deep at bats, making the starter go through multiple pitches, dozens of pitches within the first few innings. And what did they do? For each one of these Brewer starters, they got them out before the sixth inning. Woodrub, 85 pitches in five innings. Burns, 75 pitches in only three and a third. Peralta, 66 pitches in just three innings mm-hmm. that's what you want to see that's that relentless nature that Theo in the front office we're talking about that's been missing over the years and that's why they brought in so many different you know hitting instructors and hitting coaches this series they did it and they looked really really comfortable at the dish and I want to center in on Chris Bryant because there's going to be a lot of attention in just three games because we know the issues with the leadoff spot. We know some of the issues with Chris Bryant over the years that are not logical. They're just made up issues in, in our opinion, right? Chris Bryant only had one base hit. We get it. But what did he do? He saw 5.2 pitches every at-bat. The major league average is around 3.8 pitches per at-bat. For your leadoff guy, not even considering Chris Bryant's name, you want someone to work deep at bats. You want someone like a Dexter Fowler to work deep at bats. That's what Chris Bryant did. In addition to working deep at bats, Corey, he had four hard hit baseballs. Four. So if you just divide four, divide by his total number of plate appearances, the average for his batting average would be normal and we would not even be talking about this. He had a deep line drive to right field in that second game. In the first game, he had a ground ball that was 105 miles per hour. So despite him only getting that one bloop base hit, Chris Bryant saw pitches. He got the innings going. That very first game, right, he and Rizzo teamed up to get Woodruff already in double-digit pitches before Javi got to the plate. That's a big deal, Corey. So overall, despite not seeing the basis that you want from KB, you want that approach. He just missed some of the pitches over the plate. He just missed some of those curveballs over the plate. He's not going to miss those. He's Chris Bryant. And when he does not miss those, you couple that with the type of play discipline he shows at the leadoff spot with Schwarber's power and cleanup, with Contreras, who's hitting the hell out of the ball. You're going to get a lot of RBIs in the middle of the order because of Chris Bryant. That, to me, among all the other storylines that we were going to talk about that are actually important, the leadoff spot has been a center of attention for three years since Dexter left. And Chris, in his three games, did what Dexter Fowler was doing, if not better. More hard hit balls, 5.2 pitches per at bat. What more do you want? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, we're not doing this here. Uh, it's three games. Chris Bryant's fine but for you know the millionth time. The... You know people are going to be talking about Chris Bryant. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, 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 of course. I'm not talking about you, but I'm just saying, like, it's three games. He's been one of the best hitters. Don't make me pull out the stats, okay? Um, he's fine. As long as he's healthy, he's fine, and he's healthy. So he looked really good on defense. He got a lot of chances, it felt like, over these yeah. three games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think in general, the at-bats were really good. Obviously, it, it doesn't show up so much in the runs and, and just that overall production on Friday and Saturday, but it really felt like this team was putting together uh, significantly better at-bats on the whole than perhaps uh, last year. Like They just felt like you said, more relentless, running up those pitch counts and, and putting together those quality at-bats, um, whether or not the, the results were as good as you'd want on Friday and Saturday, they certainly were on Sunday. And an inning like that in the fourth where they you know basically bat around before uh, an out is made, um, you know, they, they're capable of that. And, and that's the type of offense that this group is capable of and and they're capable of of putting those you know just game ending innings on you uh at will and and it just you know was something that uh we really didn't see that often so you know or so often in in 2019 so it was really good to see on Sunday that they were able to just really get to that Milwaukee pitching staff and and not, not blow the game open it was only 5 to nothing uh after the 4th but you know it certainly felt like they they delivered a pretty heavy blow in that 4th inning and then that was something uh that was really good to see but i think one of the other notes to go back to something that you were talking about earlier was uh, there there's two really i i think uh i want to note how good Ian Happ was mm-hmm. in this series and how how good he looks uh but also Caratini and the way that Ross deployed that kind of catcher yeah. DH yep, thing. Yep, he, yep. he basically just switched it in the three games. Wilson caught games one and three, and then Caratini caught Darvish, of course, on Saturday, and then Wilson was the DH in that game. I, I, I really like that. It's obviously a way to keep Wilson fresh uh, as, you know, kind of being run down and, and having to catch so much has, has certainly, I think, contributed to him not necessarily being able to sustain that level at the plate that he's certainly capable of. Um, and it, I just like the way that was deployed. And, and Vic was one of those guys that we talked about how significant a contributor he could be and how he was kind of one of those X factors if he was able to continue hitting the way that he had shown. And he looked really good in this series, living a couple hits and just looking like a guy that's going to be really valuable for David Ross to, again, he'll he'll catch sometimes and, and is the backup catcher there, but also to just deploy as that DH or get in at first base if he wants to do that same thing with Rizzo, where you know maybe Rizzo just has one day every so often instead of a, a typical off day where he just you know goes to the plate and takes his hacks and you let Vic play first base. So that was a, a really good first series, I think, for that kind of idea that Caratini is going to be a, a, a significant player here and if he's able to to keep at that level it's going to be uh, very yeah. good for this offense and I and then before I throw it to you to talk about any of these three guys I would also throw in Nico Horner in there he starts two of these three games uh and just looks really good uh I love watching him out there uh you know he's a good defender 
but that single that he had uh, up the middle to drive in a run on in Sunday's game, like he he's just he's that bat. Yeah, and and he's just that bat that you know kind of is is a good bit different than a lot of these other guys, and something that this lineup has been missing. Just one of those guys where if you throw a hittable pitch, Nico's gonna hit it. He's gonna make contact. He's gonna put the ball in play, and you know just for an offense that I think has been much maligned over their strikeouts, and you know you've got some really big swingers in this lineup. Nico being that kind of stable presence that's just gonna make contact put the ball in there like it 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 was nice to see and it was certainly on display uh with his few hits over the course uh of this weekend. You know who Nico kind of reminds me of not like completely but the walk and the strikeout ratio and just the contact and the approach. He almost reminds me of like Mark Grudzelonic Corey. Like Grudzelonic did it's not a have cut. Yeah, like he did not have that power that Nico might have and we'll see we've been you know hearing a lot about that power potential but like even Grudzelonic in 2001 he had 13 homers in one year like if you have Nico who could bat above 300 and with speed and with doubles and triples and double digit home runs that's kind of what we think Nico could end up doing and that's what Mark Grudzelonic was at second base might be like the body stature and just the position and just all that that's kind of reminding me of him of course the Cubs as well but the thought did come to my mind when he's ripping down you know grounders hard down the right field line and to right field and hitting grounders up the middle and just having a difficult at bat so that that was that was fun to see and we did not see David Bodie this series really at all and we saw Kipnis get the start when Nico wasn't there and we did hear that that was going to be a thing before the season started, but we saw it on display of what it could do, and it was it was good. It was a nice like shake up towards that bottom of the order, where in years past we still had a lot of guys with like strike out potential even at the back end of the order. Nico's not going to strike out. He's only going to strike out the projections have him at around fifteen percent. That's well below league average of what you expect. So Nico was fun. Ian Happ was fun. The entire lineup, for the most part, was, I think, on point. I do want to mention Javi, and I'll throw it back to you, but Javi looked good, Corey. Like, the numbers may not show it, but if we look at the video, if we look how he's taking pitches, and I'll point back to that walk he had in the third game, two fastballs up and in, did not even flinch, dude. And then a curveball, slider, whatever it was, down and in, on a 2-0 count, did not even flinch. And then he takes the walk. In addition to that, in the second game, he has two hard-hit ground balls to the right side against the shift. So that's showing that he's seen the ball well. He's tracking it. He's doing what he wants to do. He almost went yard in that last game with the wind blowing out. Almost went yard to the warning track. Javi looked good. He's kind of in that like Chris Bryant discussion where he did not have the power did not show some of the stuff that you want right away out of the gate, but the at-bats looked good. And if he were to continue that going forward, you may see more walks. You may see a more patient Javi Baez. And I think that matches the eye test. He just looks more in control up there at the dish. Yeah, I again, I think overall a, a really good series for this offense. Again, the, those first two games, you know, not really getting the overall production that you want but I think especially this early and especially coming out of a a weird 
ramp up period. Um, you know, usually the, the bats are a little behind the pitchers in a normal like spring training setup or whatever. Uh, so this is an even more unique situation. Like I thought overall, this offense looked good. The at bats yeah. looked good. The the general quality of these plate appearances I thought was good. And to see some of that kind of early performance from the guys we mentioned, like Schwarber, Contreras, Horner, Caratini, Hap, like, and Rizzo, obviously, like, you know, Chris Bryant's going to get there. You know, Javi Baez is going to get there. So to see those, those guys around them was really encouraging. And I I think, uh, you know, it, it bodes well for this offense. And, you know, obviously we'll have to continue seeing how they look against different pitching. Um, You know, this was just the Brewers here to start. But I, I was pretty encouraged overall on the three days uh, by the performance of the offense. Let's let's uh, before we you know uh, get closer to wrapping up here, um, and you know maybe just talk about a couple things to nitpick in a in a series that the Cubs won here. Um, what did you think? Any thoughts about the way? Since this is our first kind of go at it with the actual games counting. Any thoughts on the way that David Ross was dealing with these lineups over the course of the three days? Uh, Really not too many changes. Like I said, just sort of swapping Contreras and Caratini from the DH and catcher spot, and then uh, Nico and Kipnis switching on, uh, you know, Friday and Sunday with Nico playing, and then Saturday with Kipnis getting in there. Um, Any any thoughts on, on the sort of lineup discussion from from David Ross, even though we didn't really have much change going on here? Yeah, I thought Hayward batting six. I, I, I mean, I get it. I get the guy's a veteran. You got the contact rate. You got the, the situational awareness. But I, I rather see Hayward go down maybe a, a notch or two just because you have more potential with Ian Happ, with Victor Caratini, and maybe even Nico Horner. So that was like my one nitpick. The other thing that I, I, I do like, and I think it's great for the team going forward, is that Caratini and Wilson DH split. And we always, for years, have talked about Schwarber getting the DH spot, but when we see it in the action, the DH, it does make more sense to use that for Wilson, right? And for Caratini. Schwarber's fine out there defensively. He's not going to win gold gloves. He's not going to be in the top 75% of defenders, but he's going to be around league average, just slightly below league average, and that's going to be outweighed by his stellar offense, some of the best offense in the league for left fielders if he continues this trajectory. So that was something that I think is really like something we can look forward to in the next few series is the catching spot. Seeing Caratini and Wilson swap in and out, and in doing so, you keep their bats in the lineup, and you keep both of their catchers well-rested. And even when they have days off, you have Josh Begley, who got in that bat, who actually pinched it for Caratini in the sixth inning. To a lot of people's surprise, it was, it was a surprise for me too, because they were only at 5-1. to one. But I think the logic there when David Ross did pinch it for Caratini with Fegley was just to give Fegley some at-bats. And I don't particularly agree with the call per se but I understand the logic where it's hard to get these guys at bats when you don't have the pitcher slot to do so where you don't have every three innings some guy getting that bat so if you're going to be using these catchers and trying to preserve their health because we've seen Contreras over the past few years have these hamstring injuries we got to preserve them right so to do that you got to keep guys who are going to go in and spell these catchers 
some frequent at-bats. And it's hard to do that right now with limited practice, limited time at the ballpark. So I can see the logic of David Ross doing that as a former Corey backup catcher himself. He kind of gets it, right? Other than that, I was fine with everything else. In fact, I liked all the decisions. I liked him going with, of course, Kendricks with the complete game. Uh, I liked him going with Casey Sadler today in a vacuum that might have made sense. He had a little bit of a slippery grip on the ball, but I liked it. I liked how he preserved Craig Kimbrell. Uh, similar logic, how he could be doing the same thing with John Lester, just delaying that ramp-up period. I did like that. Overall, good series for David Ross. I really can't complain too much. The decisions made sense to line up the top five. Logical, makes sense, exactly what we wanted. And we saw Ian Happ play every game. He started every yeah. game. Amora was on the bench, got one at bat. That's how you do it, man. And yeah, I, and just to to that point, I, I did like the way that that center field position was handled in this series. The Brewers end up throwing three righties in this series, and that's how it should be. Like, until, and, and you know, again, th- this is just based on the, the numbers here over the course of a, a couple seasons now. Like, Al's got to earn that playing time yep. against right-handed pitching, and it's fine if they want to get him in there against lefties. You know, that's that's long been a thing that, you know, he's shown hot bursts against left-handed pitching, and, you know, that's that's a, a pretty constant narrative that comes from uh, the, the staff in the front office that, you know, they'd like him to, to return to that level against lefties, so I would expect to see him in there. Uh, but when it's right-handed pitchers and Ian Happ is showing you that he's hitting home runs, he's hitting opposite field home runs, he's taking walks, like, he should be in there. His ceiling is higher as a player than Almora's. And as we've talked about many times, I know it sounds like we, you know, really get on Almora a lot, and we do, but that's mostly because he can be fine in a particular role. And I think, especially in this series, not getting in there other than, you know, late in the game as a defensive replacement against righties, he makes an incredible catch going into the Ivy. Ian Happ made an incredible catch going into the Ivy in center field, and then Albert made like a, a better one, which was pretty funny. Um, so, and th- and that's, that's a that's an important role, right? Like being a, a good defender and making catches like that and getting in there when he can succeed based on the matchups, that's what you want to see until there's some larger trend in one direction or the other. But as as you all know from listening to us, love seeing Ian Happ out there and really love that he got off to a successful start here. Uh, he's put in a lot of work. He's dealt with being sent down. He's dealt, you know, like with other guys, not really having a consistent role uh, for a young guy that's tough. And he's continued to make the adjustments He's continued to try to capitalize on the time that he's been given, and and this was a really good start for him. And I I think that if he's able to really secure a spot in this lineup, uh, whether it's at center field or mixing in other outfield spots or DHing, whatever they want to do, right? Like this Cubs lineup is going to be really good if Ian Happ is is one of those guys that David Ross has a hard time keeping out of the lineup. Uh, that that would be uh, really good for this team. And, you know, I, I kind of liked him hitting toward that bottom of the order, you know, yeah. that whole like second leadoff hitter deal. I don't know if I would keep him ninth, but I didn't mind it uh, just the way that it was that it was going here. I agree with you. Like, I don't love Hayward in the six hole. Um, you know, just a lot of very similar contact that we've seen from Hayward uh, over the years, some, some weaker fly balls rolling over to, to second. I don't want to turn this into, you know, griping about Hayward, but, you know, I think like over the course of this time, like, you know, he 
is what he is to a degree, and it's it has value. Uh, but I I think that especially with the way that you know Nico swung the bat here in this first series, the way that Vic Caratini has swung the bat for you know a, a little over a year now, and the the limited roles that he has, like I just don't think Hayward should be hitting that high. That's that's really all it is. Uh, but again, that that that's nitpicking, and you know. I really only wanted to discuss it because these are the first real lineups that we've gotten from David Ross. So I was just, you know, figuring it was at least worthwhile to dig into it. But, uh, you know, one thing that I, I, I did like from Ross just in a general sense, and this does contrast to Joe a little bit, the lineup felt really consistent for this weekend, you know, and it's a 60 game season. There's a lot of questions to answer. You're going to have to have a a quick hook on, on certain playing time decisions and and things like that in in a number of areas on this team. But I liked that in this series, David Ross put out what he believed was that best lineup, and he really stuck with it other than, you know, again, like swapping Nico and Kipnis and changing a couple positions. But, you know, he went out there and said, this is what I believe is the best lineup against right-handed pitching. And we're going to stick with it through this series, you know, um, and, and I like that. And again, you know, he'll have to make adjustments if guys aren't performing and, you know, may have to do it quickly. But how quickly you make those adjustments is is a tricky question to answer uh, in, in, a, in a season like this. So I liked that, that it had a consistent feel and that in these games, you know, it was basically like, look, we're going to throw up our best five hitters first, maybe make a couple of tweaks toward that bottom of the order. But generally, like, this is the group that we believe is going to have the most success. And that's who you're going to see, right? There's nothing to get cute about, right? So I liked that uh, from David Ross in this weekend. And I, I think, you know, really, like, uh, again, aside from like, and, and the Hayward, like, hitting sixth thing is like a complete nitpick. I think in general, like, David Ross uh, yeah, was really matter. good this weekend, just from a sitting at home on my couch, uh, ready to complain about the manager <laughs> perspective. <laughs> so I, I think he was really good, um, you know, just kind of being able to finally evaluate some of his his tactical decisions. So want to... Um, Two last things want to talk about. Want to let you in particular, uh, Brendan, talk about you, as in Darvish, uh, just in what you saw there as the Jake Arrieta is no longer with the Cubs, so Brendan is now the you uh, Darvish expert mm-hmm. of, of yeah, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the Chicago Cubs sphere. So let you go on that. And then just uh, want to touch on the bullpen just a little bit and what we saw, what we saw from David Ross, just, uh, you know, kind of offer up our thoughts on that. And then we will head into the preview of the Cincinnati Red series. So you Darvish, right? He does not look like he did in the second half of last year. Few pitchers do, by the way. He was just that good in the second half. But just because he was not that sharp in his first outing, I saw comparisons to how he looked during like his down days with the Cubs when he had no command. That that was not what we saw like at all. Like when he was really struggling, he was throwing cutters almost like half the time. And yeah, he threw around 35 uh, cutters in his first start, but he still was throwing fastballs. He still threw 14 four-seamers. He still threw nine sinkers, and he was still showcasing the curveball, the knuckle curve, the splitter, the slider, in addition to the cutter and the four-seamer. He was throwing all of his pitches, and he wasn't really, you know, the command really wasn't that bad. Even with the four-seamers, he got two swinging strikes. He got four foul balls, two batted balls in play. With the sinker, he got three called strikes, one swinging strike, and four batted balls in play. Almost every single sinker he threw had 
a, an okay outcome, right? So th like that's what you want to see. You want to see Darvish have command of his fastball. It wasn't perfect, but it was not to the same degree of awfulness that we saw during April of 2019 before he got hurt in 2018. And outside of the fastball, everything else looked great. Cutter looked great. Got seven swinging strikes with the cutter 35 times he threw the pitch. Uh, he got, again, two swinging strikes from that splitter. May have been the supreme pitch. Uh, overall, wasn't his best, but to be worried, to extrapolate that this is what we're going to see going forward, too early, man. Way too early. Everything was fine. The velocity was 95 to 97. The cutter was 89 to 94 at times. He just has to get into a groove, get back to that feel, and I think overall, over the course of the next 11 starts, you're going to see that. I wouldn't be completely worried about what you saw in that start. I, I think, you know, again, it, it was clearly one of those starts that was frustrating for you. He looked frustrated at, at the fact that, you know, some of the stuff wasn't doing what he thought it would be doing. Um, but he's he's we saw what he can do uh, in the 2019 second half. And as I mentioned, when kind of just going through these numbers, like, you know, he wasn't walking anybody. Um, I think he might have hit with, what, one batter? Yeah. At least one. Uh, but, you know, didn't walk anybody. And again, you know, it just, I, I, I've said this to Brendan in kind of like when we're texting each other watching these games, like it had like a 2016 Arietta vibe to it. And if you remember a lot of those starts, and even in the World Series, like Jake looked really effectively wild, right? Like the stuff is completely nasty, but doesn't specifically look like he knows exactly where it's going. You know, not hitting a lot of spots, but it's still nasty, right? Nasty's nasty. So uh, I, that's that's kind of the vibe that I had on Saturday. He'll be great. Um, it, you know, it was a frustrating game on Saturday. Obviously, the Cubs not being able to execute that rundown, which is very confusing to me. I mean, especially just the names that were involved. Uh, Bryant, Kipnis, Baez, and Rizzo, you know, messing up a rundown just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But it happens. They talked about it. I imagine David Ross was none too pleased about that. Uh, so hopefully, and we didn't see it, any any defensive miscues in the other two games. So uh, hopefully that's just a one-off. But I want to talk about the bullpen a little bit, uh, just kind of in, in what we saw. And this is going to be a tricky one. I, I think we knew this going in, but it kind of felt even more like that as I was watching these games. I don't know if it did for you too, Brendan, but like it's going to be tricky for David Ross to figure some of this out. And I think this is going to be true for a lot of teams, except for, you know, teams that have like super strong elite arms all through their bullpen. Um, it's going to be tricky to kind of toe that line between I need to get this guy in there and figure out what's going on versus this season is only 60 games. How long do I have to really figure that out, right? So in that game on Saturday, we see, uh, obviously, just to remind you, on Friday, we didn't see anybody from the bullpen because Kyle Hendricks really went out there on opening day and threw a complete game shutout. But Saturday, we saw Dwayne Underwood Jr., Brad Week, who is now on the injured list uh, after this outing on Saturday, James Norwood, Rex Brothers, and Dylan Maples. And then on Sunday to follow Chatwood, we saw Casey Sadler, Kyle Ryan, and Jeremy Jeffress. Um, Underwood gives up the home run, but, you know, we know that 
we've kind of been looking at the potential that's there, the velocity that there, the, the the pitches that he's been working on. Um, Brad Week gives up the home run to Christian Yelich. Uh, velocity looked way down, and again, obviously he's on the injured list now. Uh, I think the cameras caught him wincing after that uh, on the delivery in the at bat after the Yelich home run. Norwood gives up some runs, but he's had that velocity and, you know, kind of has been one of those intriguing guys. Uh, Brothers allows a walk, two strikeouts in a clean inning uh, in terms of runs and hits. And Dylan Maples had a good outing for Dylan Maples. You know, he's one of those guys we talked about a lot. He's kind of, sometimes he's completely nasty and around the zone and unhittable. And then other times he's throwing pitches, you know, into the netting behind Wilson Contreras. So that was a good one on Saturday. Uh, And then on Sunday, Sadler goes uh, a third of an inning, walks two guys, doesn't allow any hits. He looked to be having a problem sweating, I don't, you know, you don't necessarily want to completely let someone off the hook, but he's a guy that came over with a really low walk rate. Like this isn't a guy who really walks a lot of guys. That's one of the, I think, reasons the the, the Cubs brought him in and, and looked to him to be in this bullpen is he's just a guy you can kind of count on to throw strikes. So, I, you know, they, he was the guy they had to have Javi throw him the rosin bag from the bullpen. Like it just sort of looked to be hopefully an isolated issue that just couldn't really get a grip on the ball because he was sweating so much. Um, Kyle Ryan came in after uh, one and two thirds scoreless, no hits, no walks. He looked good, got a big double play uh, to escape a jam there late in the game. And Jeffress, uh, no hits, no runs, and just a walk. He looked pretty good. So, you know, I don't know if you had any major thoughts, criticisms, praise for what we saw out of the bullpen or, or how David Ross managed it. Uh, but I, I think in a in a vacuum, I didn't really have much of an issue with anything that David Ross did. Didn't love uh, Brad Week facing Christian Yelich in a one-run game. As you guys know, if you've listened to this podcast, something that bothers me more than anything in baseball is when the Cubs cut a deficit and then they give those runs right back. So they were down four to one. Uh, Schwarber hits the home run four to three, and then Christian Yelich immediately gets those two runs back with a home run. I hate it. It drives me nuts. Right? The Cubs offense doesn't even come to the plate with a chance to kind of like change the game. Um, and we the velocity's down. Right? Like he was sitting, I think ninety one, which is not where he needs to be. So I didn't love that. But at the same time, in a bullpen where, you know, we're not really sure what Craig Kimbrell is going to bring, Rowan Wick is is probably the guy you would look at and go, maybe I trust him the most. Uh, but, you know, he doesn't exactly have a long career of, you know, being a top-tier reliever, right? This is something the Cubs have kind of uh, worked on and, and found themselves in. So I think given the situation, I I don't really know that I can get on Ross for that. Like at some point you got to get these guys in there. And if you use the the guys that you really, really trust uh, that early in the game, like you, you don't really have a big list of names that you trust after that, which is I think what makes it easier to bring in guys to put out fires earlier. Um, so I, I think this is going to be something to watch. Uh, you know, it's it's obviously unfortunate that, you know, the combination of Darvish going short and the bullpen not really being reliable is a pretty significant factor in that game on, on Saturday. Uh, you know, like I said, the offense kind of tried to get back in it and the, the pitching staff sort of lets it get too far away. But I think early on, like in these two in these two games on Saturday and Sunday, I thought Ross was able to do a good job of getting these guys in there, try to get that kind of initial look, and you know, hopefully, you just have some things 
stand out or, or stabilize as we go forward here, but not the worst thing in the world at the very least to avoid using Kimbrel or Wick. Wouldn't have been bad to get a look at them, I guess, but keeping those bullets fresh and, you know, keeping uh, them able to go here as we head to Cincinnati. But anything for you, Brendan, that you felt worth uh, noting or, or that stood out with, with what we saw from the guys in the bullpen as it's been such a point of discussion for this team? Well, it's hard to get a confident opinion on the bullpen when two of the guys at the back end did not pitch. You did not see yeah. Rowan Wick, did not see Craig Campbell. So I can't give like this complete absolute confidence in the bullpen not that it's a bad thing you just didn't see them right but of the guys we did see rex brothers looked good two strikeouts one inning was thrown gas 95 96 97 dylan maples one inning no walks Corey, no walks at all that's good and a strikeout james norwood got roughed up but he was throwing 97 98 99 command was not there ditto for Dwayne underwood jr but the stuff looked good for both those guys their velocity and the off-speed pitch were within their range of their norms, if not higher. So that's good. For the other guys like Sadler and for the other guys like Jeffress, their velocity's down. Same with Kyle Ryan. It's down about a mile and a half to two miles per hour for all of these guys. That's not good. I'm not going to say, oh, this is going to be okay. But it's still early and different pitchers have different ramp-up periods. Kyle Ryan did get started late after COVID coming back to summer camp. Jeffress will see the velocity has been up and down his entire career. Casey Sadler had no grips. He was only throwing 93. Usually sits around 94, 95. We'll see again. But there are good and there is bad. The good was Dylan Maples. The good was seeing James Norwood and seeing Dwayne Underwood stuff look promising. Rex Brothers, that lefty throwing gas could be a big deal for David Ross in the future. Kyle Ryan coming in, throwing multiple innings, getting the double play, keeping the command there despite the velocity being down two miles per hour. That's a good thing. So there's positives, there's some negatives, but again, it's three games. We saw a bullpen that did not use their two best pitchers at all. They still won two games. That's got to be a good thing, right? So overall, you can you can take away some negatives, but don't use those negatives to kind of like distract you from some of the positives. If Rex Brothers is going to be throwing 97 from the left side, getting strikeouts, it's a big deal. And if Dwayne Underwood continues to throw these change-ups and fastballs, that unique combination, that could be a big deal too. So overall, you know, the bullpen, it could have been worse. They hunkered down in that last game and allowed the Cubs to continue adding on runs and eventually winning 9-1. to So that, that was, you know, all in all, a good sign, I think. So yeah. Let's preview this upcoming series against the Reds. So we have a four-game set against the Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati. All these start times are central. On Monday, we have John Lester facing Wade Miley at a start time of 540. We have on Tuesday, Alec Mills facing Tyler Malley for the Reds. Same start time at 540. We have on Wednesday, Kyle Hendricks, second start out facing Sonny Gray. Also, his second start out, Sonny Gray got the win. Uh, they're both 1-0. and oh. And then on Thursday, to finish off the four-game set, start time 5-10, similar start time uh, all throughout the series around 5-10, 5-40. We have New Darvish making his second start, facing Luis Castillo for the Reds. The Reds are 1-2. The Cubs are, of course, 2-1. Right now, the standings hold with the Cubs and Cardinals, both 2-1 atop the division, and then Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati all at 1-2. So 
really what I'm looking for the next four game set is bunkering down with the bullpen, seeing Ronan Wick make his season debut, seeing Craig Campbell make his season debut, seeing Yu Darvish maybe go more than the few innings he threw. And looking at that second base and DH spot like we did this series, will David Ross still use Contreras and Caratini in that DH role? Will Kipnis and Horner get most of the playing time? What will happen with David Bodie? And will Ian Happ continue to take most of the at-bats at center field? And going to Cincinnati, you come out with a winning series. You got Kansas City and Pittsburgh right after that. So you have an opportunity, Corey, to come out with a series win going into two other teams who are among the worst in the league and kind of getting a good base for the first 10 games of the year as a lead. This could be a very important thing just to get the like the mindset, the positive, confident mindset going. You come out of here with a series split or a series win, a 3-1 win ahead of Kansas City, ahead of Pittsburgh, you're rolling, man. Yeah, and it's funny as you're reading that. It's like it keeps sort of I, – I, it's just something I guess I have to keep in the, the back of my head. Like it really dawns on you like when you're reading those things. Like even like at the end of this <laughs> Cincinnati series, like how far into the season – we're going to be. It's just a very weird thing to kind of like recalibrate to. Um, You know, like normally when we're recapping the first series of the year, it's like there's such a long runway of the season that basically nothing we're talking about is of any significance. And it's like, you know, you're talking about those first four series of the year, like we'll be done with what, 20% of the season (laughs) by the time that that's over. Like that's crazy. It's, it's, it's something that I'm going to have to get used to uh, keeping, keeping in mind here I mean, we're but in August baseball. yeah that's what it is <laughs> yeah I, I mean look like I think that the the key in a 60 game season like this you, you got to just rack up these wins I mean that's that's really what it is um you know the the trade deadline will be a weird period because it's not going to be a lot of games uh but you just the the most important thing I think here in this early going is is not digging yourself in a hole and in fact trying to do the opposite like trying to give yourself a little room against these teams in your division and kind of like put yourself at a pace a lot of teams are making the playoffs but the the one thing you you really want to avoid is like kind of falling in that early hole because there's just not a lot of time to get out of it so really good that the Cubs picked up this first series win and you know now uh you know you look to see if they're going to be able to be better on the road than they have been uh in 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 the last uh season here like that that was something that was really confusing for this team uh you know they went through that long stretch without winning a road series like and just you know doesn't really make a lot of sense uh with this team so i think that that's one of those things that you're really looking for that they can be better on the road. Um, Obviously, you want to see what the remaining starters, Lester and Mills, are going to bring to the table. You guys know how I feel about John. I think we went through that pretty clearly after that game against the Twins. Um, And yeah, like two of these games for the most part, and really overall for the most part, aside from, you know, the couple mistakes on Saturday, like the Cubs had good at bats, they played clean defense, and they were able to get some pretty pretty big pitching performances out of some of these guys. So really just look to to keep that going. Uh, this is a Reds team that dropped that first series to the Tigers. So, uh, you know, hopefully maybe you're, you're catching them in a little bit of a slow start. But just sort of keep it going. I mean, I, you know, again, like I don't, I, I think the, in a longer season, we have so, we have nuanced things we're looking for, like in these upcoming series, uh, trends and things like that. But in a 60 game year, like just go get those W's guys. Like, you know what I mean? So that's, that's pretty much all we're looking at. So 
I'll, uh, I, you know, more than anything, I'm looking forward to John Lester pitching and, and just being able to watch yep. him again. So that's what I'll, I'll be, be dialed into and, and yeah, and seeing, you know, if we can get any further clarity on some of this bullpen stuff. But I will dial 9-1 and have it ready for if the Reds try to bring in Pedro Strope uh, against the Cubs. I will be calling the 9-1-1. So um, that is not allowed. We're not going to be doing that. No. Um, but that's that's pretty much what I have, and I, I think that's pretty much what we have. This was a, a fun weekend, a weird one uh, in a lot of ways, but really, really good to have baseball back, and uh, there there's really not that much that beats that Cubs took two out of three on a Sunday early in the day, and you kind of just have that vibe around you for the rest, you know, to kind of finish out the weekend. That That is a, a really welcome uh feeling to have back in, in the midst of everything else going on in the world. Um, but that's that's pretty much what we have. It's a good weekend for the Cubs. Um, you know, definitely, I think some things uh, you could nitpick if you want, uh, especially in that Saturday game. But on the whole, we got a complete game shutout from Kyle Hendricks on Friday. Uh, the boys put up a big offensive performance on Sunday, got a lot of home runs, uh, and, you know, I think overall uh, a really, really solid weekend for the Cubs, and nothing beats uh, the W flying over Wrigley Field and Go Cubs Go blasting over the speakers, whether we are in the, in person to hear it uh, or kind of getting that feeling on, on social media and in our own homes. Uh, either way, the, the W flying and Steve Goodman playing in the background is always how we want to end a weekend, especially in a series against the Milwaukee Brewers. So that, I think, is what we have for you. Uh, as we've said, we will be back at the conclusion of the Red Series to break that down, and then we will, again, look ahead to what is next for the Chicago Cubs. So here is hoping that when we speak to you guys next, we are talking about the Cubs' second straight series victory of the 2020 season. Uh, thank you guys, as always, for joining us. And uh, I know you're listening to this on Monday morning, uh, but hopefully you enjoyed the rest of your Sunday uh, after the Cubs took two of three to begin the 2020 season, because I can assure you that Brendan and I will. So we will talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening. And as always, now, like I said the last time, we get to say it for real. Go Cubs. Nobody builds 5G. Like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.